0: here we're gonna throw a little event and that got canceled for one reason or another but uh anyway suddenly september's opening wide open and as i mentioned earlier i've been working on a little bike uh, that uh, george and paul brown were kind enough to pass on to me and got to do a motor transplant but of course you got to get all the stuff off the bike
1: i can't seem to sleep at night Just keep thinking about you Watering from a tear-stained eye
2: is Roman. Thank you so much for listening in. Today it is Monday. No, it's not Monday. Maybe it's, it's not even Monday anywhere. Maybe in another dimension. How about in another dimension, it's Monday and there's no war and there's no violence and everyone's getting along fine and the earth isn't polluted. And how about we live in that reality? That That sounds really good to me. Today's Friday, so we're told. Who knows? Maybe it's all a big conspiracy by big calendar. Anyway, it's November 3rd, 2017. Hope everyone has had a good week so far. My week was great in that I had a gig for three days of the week, so I was away from home and I was away from my computer and I was away from Facebook, and my mental health improved. Imagine that. And then I got back, and aside from uh, one friend of mine had a really lovely photo that was really sweet. And then uh, aside from that, it was just a lot of, oh, my goodness, This this is what's happening. And I appreciate being aware of what's happening and at the same time also... Uh, taking a break from it, I think that's that's really that's really good. I've been being vague here, but we'll get into some news stories. And at one thirty p.m., we will be talking about. Well, before then, we can even start a little bit, but we'll be speaking about the the SFPD. Um, they feel like they need more weapons to murder people with or harm people with. So they want to get tasers, and a lot of other police departments have tasers. And tasers are deadly, despite some folks saying they're not. People have been seriously injured, and people have been killed by tasers, and if there's a gang in town that um, profiles people and causes harm to people, why should we give them extra weapons? And some people say, oh, well, they're not as bad as guns, and it's still a weapon. How about de-escalating a situation? How about not criminalizing people? These are options here. Instead of giving them other weapons to use, how about moving back from the idea of punishing someone and harming someone? And how about helping someone if if that's a situation you're in? That's an idea. Maybe in in the alternate universe where today is Monday, and I get that Monday usually has a bad rap and people prefer Fridays to Mondays, but maybe in this alternate universe, it's also really good when it's a Monday. Everyone's, yes, the week is starting. We can do things to help people. I will be sharing some positive news stories. There are some people speaking out. Those are the, the positive news stories. And so much is happening. That's always been the case you know we'll see what we can get to in this hour and 50 minutes that we're together here at Mutiny Radio. If you like and support the show, spread the word. It's uh, I appreciate having listeners. You can check out our archive if you go to p c r c well it's p c r or if you just type in mutinyradio.fm you can also access the archive that way. The show's been on for since 2013 and our archive goes back to 2015, so there is still a year of shows that I have saved. And ideally, I would like to put them out on a website somewhere and maybe create transcripts because I've spoken to some really incredible people. And that would be nice to share those with the world as well. And it's also a lot to to do. So that's maybe in the future and perhaps, again, in this alternate universe that's all out there for the masses so folks can read if they can't hear. And uh, all this would be out there. So we'll be talking about a few news stories here. And I haven't had coffee yet, yet I'm still doing okay. Um, yeah, I'm kind of getting back into the swing of things. So I guess I should start off with some stories. And also an introduction is that uh, I think we're playing some Sylvester. Uh, thank you to a friend Anna who uh, was donating some CDs and, and Anna had a Sylvester, the 12x12 collection. And I was like, yes! And uh, I used to collect CDs back in the day. And uh, I appreciate them. And there's something, I know there's that certain feel with like records and there's certain feel with tapes and CDs or came after. Uh, for, for our generation, it was like the last thing to really be able to hold on to. And that's something nice to even to see the album artwork and to, to read the liner notes and to read lyrics if they're included and just to hold on to something instead of just, I appreciate the ease of listening to music online and the, it's accessible, you it's right there, instant gratification. And at the same time, there's something really nice about having something to hold or to put into a machine that plays it for you. I think that's great. So we'll be listening to Sylvester because Sylvester makes me happy and it doesn't undo all of the harm that's in the world. Uh, It it at least makes it easier to deal with. That's my explanation of it. We've got news stories, so many news stories. Also, I've been filling in uh, for DJ Asik on Mondays for heterotopia. So feel free to listen in Mondays from four to six and also listen to, there's so many great shows here at the station. So you check out the schedule at mutinyradio.fm. You can totally do that. Good times. Great. So let's start off with our first story. And this is people taking, taking charge and Creating a better world for everybody. So this is from Broadly. Meet the New York strippers organizing against racism in the industry. We spoke to the women behind the hashtag NYC stripper strike who allege low wages, unfair treatment, and racial discrimination. And this article was written by Lena Solo, and it came out on October 30th. Earlier this month, Giselle Marie was returning from a work trip to Washington, D.C., when she and other dancers started chatting each other on social media about the difficulties they faced to trying to earn a a livable wage working in New York City strip clubs. After hearing many similar stories of unfair treatment, Giselle aired her grievances in an Instagram post. And Giselle says, I'm so sick of seeing my fellow dancers in New York complain about deserving what is supposed to be theirs. Listen, you bum-ass fucking promoters and club owners. Y'all fucking up the damn money, Giselle wrote, describing an unfair system of wage distribution. Soon, comments and messages poured in from other dancers with similar complaints, including Panama, who's worked in New York City strip clubs for eight years. Giselle, Panama, and a few other women got to talking, as and as their movement gained traction, the hashtag NYC stripper strike was born. One issue for dancers in New York City, according to Giselle and Panama, is that in the past several years, club owners and promoters have stopped hiring bartenders to simply tend bar and instead bring in women with big social media followings to attract customers. Since both bartenders and dancers rely heavily on tips, and because dancers' performance spaces can be next to or literally on the bar, this can lead to confusion over who gets the money from customers. Some dancers even claim that bartenders have taken their money off Of the dancing stage. These legitimate frustrations have been reduced by some media outlets as catfight between two groups of women, but participating dancers want to make it clear that this is not a strippers versus bartenders battle, but rather a fight for power and respect in a space that so often denies both from female employees. We're not about stopping anybody from taking money, Panama told Broadly. We want bartenders to do their job, and we want to do our job, and the promoters to do their job, and the club owners to do their job. Let's set some rules and regulations down for everyone. Giselle agreed, adding that the promoters and the managers have segregated us by treating bartenders or star-tenders, that's in quotation marks, an industry term for amateur bartenders with social media clout differently than dancers. Dancers of the hashtag NYC Stripper Strike are also shedding light on discrimination against black women in the industry. According to Giselle in Panama, promoters rarely ever hire bartenders who are black or dark-skinned, and black dancers also have a harder time getting scheduled on nights with high earning potential and getting access to VIP spaces. This isn't the first time labor struggles have highlighted racism at strip clubs. When dancers at the San Francisco-based strip club The Lusty Lady unionized in 1997, performers of all races wanted to address the issues they faced, the lack of sick pay or protection from customers filming performances without permission. But black dancers pointed out other issues, like the fact that they weren't given access to lucrative dancing opportunities granted to white and Latina dancers. In Unequal Desires, Race and Erotic Capital in the Stripping Industry, former Lusty Lady Dancer Shabon Brooks writes, The full impact of the racism at the club was the issue of black women performing in what was called private pleasures, a booth that was separate from the main stage, but a more lucrative way for dancers to perform with wages starting at $5 for three minutes. Dancers could make up to $60 an hour. I noticed that although non-black women of color worked in this booth, black dancers were never scheduled. Workers successfully pushed to change this policy in the unionizing process. New York City dancers face a complicated yet common problem in their fight for better treatment. Unlike dancers at the Lusty Lady, they're classified as independent contractors. This limits the club's responsibilities and means that the women classified as independent contractors aren't entitled to sick days, workers' comp, unemployment, and other workplace rights. Whether women who dance in strip clubs should be classified as independent contractors has been set up for debate for years, and since 1998, several court cases have been settled that involved reclassifying dancers from independent contractors to employees to receive back pay. Now, women of the NYC stripper strike are strategizing about what comes next. Last week, approximately 30 dancers gathered at Poletic Justice, a pole studio in the Bronx to share stories and strategize. Poletic Justice owner M. Marie has worked as an entertainer for the past 10 years in New York and told Broadly that, of course, she would provide her space for a room of women to come together and support each other. Dancers at the meeting told Broadly that they haven't called for an official strike or boycott yet because they want to be strategic. They recognize that their efforts will only be successful if they can get more dancers on board and help people move from fear to action. Panama hopes dancers will see that, if we let the managers do it, they're gonna keep doing it. Women of the NYC stripper strike are undeterred by people who dismiss them because of their jobs. Marie scoffed at the idea that dancers being treated unfairly should just find a different occupation. Man, you're not happy with your nine to five, she quipped. For Panama, this movement for workplace rights is no different than what Colin Kaepernick is doing, taking a risk and speaking up to make a difference. Forget about it being a strip club, Panama said. We're still being discriminated against as black women in the workplace in 2017. So, sending good energy, love and support to these folks doing this, and all workers out there fighting for a, a just workplace. Okay. I don't know if it makes sense for me to comment after the stories. I feel it's silly for me to even add anything because the the people in them oftentimes speak for themselves. So I don't know what else I can add aside from sending some energy, some support, and hopefully the folks listening as well can also recognize that if we come with, and there certainly are biases in this. I can only speak from my experiences since I was raised in America. Just there's a lot of, I think, misogyny and a lot of like anti sex work propaganda that gets worked into the, the conversation. So just working to dispel these myths and this, um, I, I don't know how else to, to describe it. Let's just say that wanting to ensure everyone gets what they deserve. Cool. Coming up next is a story that came out on November 1st, and this is from Democracy Now!, Uh, In Peru, beauty pageant contestants protest violence against women by reciting murder statistics instead of bust sizes. Righteous. In Peru, women competing in the Miss Peru beauty pageant protested violence against women by refusing to disclose their waist, hip, and breast measurements, and instead presented statistics on the murder, rape, and harassment of women. Karen Coito says, my name is Karen Coito, and I represent Lima, and my figures are... 82 femicides and 156 attempted femicides so far this year. Samantha Batianos says, my name is Samantha Batianos, and I represent Lima, and my figures are, a girl dies every 10 minutes as a result of sexual exploitation. Juana Acevedo says, my name is Juana Acevedo, and my figures are, more than 70% of women in our country are victims of street harassment. Kellen Rivera says, my name is Kellen Rivera, and I represent... Arequipa. My measurements are 6,573 cases of violence against women have been registered in my region. Wow. So that's the article. That's it. That's the facts right there. And that's what it's about. That's awesome. All right. So as I prepare the next stories, I am going to play a little bit more music. And by a little bit, it's another song. So let's see what's next um, from Sylvester. welcome back. I don't know about you. I feel a lot better. Listening to Sylvester just definitely lifts my spirits. Our next article is not going to be a sad article. It's going to be a helpful article, and it's going to be an informative article. Hopefully all the articles I read are informative to some degree. Uh, this comes from Teen Vogue, and we'll be talking about Teen Vogue in the next stories after this. So this came out um, in August, late August, August 21st to be specific, and was written by Desmond Meagley and Youth Radio, and this is about all your questions about gender-neutral pronouns answered. Now, some of us, myself included, I identify as Um, non-binary, I'm not really into gendered language myself, either being used for me, and... I feel like it can be pretty restrictive. So for those of us who prefer more gender, ne- gender neutral pronouns, uh, here are some questions that folks might have. And this is from grammar to what to do if you mess up. Mess it up. Uh, people say the darndest things about the singular they. If I tell someone that my preferred pronouns are they, them, there, I never know what to expect. Sometimes people say okay and move on but other times they'll start to ask a whole bunch of questions that I don't really feel like answering. It's usually well-intentioned. I get that people are just trying to understand, but I do get tired of explaining the same things over and over. So to save everyone, myself included, some time and confusion, I've rounded up some responses to the most common weird questions I get about my pronouns. So the first one is a statement that would be, you look like a boy or girl, why, and boy slash girl, I should say, Uh, why use they instead of he or she? And the person responds, I look like me. That's all there is to it. If someone else looks at me and decides that I am something or another based on the clothes I'm wearing or whether or not I'm wearing makeup, that assumption is on them. It has nothing to do with who or what I actually am. And then someone, another statement could be, you're only one person, how does that work? And the response is, it's really, really simple. In English, we already use singular they all the time when the gender of a person is unknown. Say you see 50 bucks on the ground and you pick it up. You might say, oh, someone dropped their money there. I'll set it aside for them. I bet they are looking everywhere. Using he or she and his or hers in this situation is awkward and clunky, so we use singular they instead. When someone uses they, them pronouns, all you have to do is apply that same sentence construction. Oh, Desmond dropped their money there. I'll set it aside for them. I bet they're looking everywhere. Now, if only I could get 50 bucks every time someone's rude about my gender. No, I'm kidding. Let's move on. Next, a statement could be, I'm fine with non-binary people, but I don't believe in singular they pronouns. It makes no sense. And the response is, Not only are you on the wrong side of history, you're also on the wrong side of English, my friend. Major dictionaries have recognized singular they as grammatically correct for years, including the Oxford English Dictionary, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and Dictionary.com. The word they has been used as a singular pronoun since at least the 16th century, and some argue it goes back even earlier. We're not making up new words in grammar here. The AP Style Guide has even started to allow the usage of singular they in cases where a subject doesn't identify as male or female. Clearly, it makes sense to a lot of people who know a lot about the English language, so I don't know why everyone who gets so hung up on this. So I don't know why everyone gets so hung up on this. Next, my non-binary friend is okay with being called he or she, so he slash she, so I don't think it's a big deal. And the response, oh boy, If you're using the pronoun your friend told you to use, great. Non-binary people can use binary pronouns. Personally, I use both he and they, and I don't mind either one. It doesn't make me feel less non-binary, and the words and terms that make me feel comfortable don't apply to everyone. But, and this is a very big but, if your friend prefers singular, singular they, but doesn't correct you when you use he or she instead, chances are it's because they don't feel safe doing so. They may already be afraid of getting into an awkward or dangerous situation by repeating themselves to someone who won't listen. It takes a lot of courage to reveal such personal information to others, and when someone comes out to you, it's because they trust you enough to tell you something really important. I guarantee you're not getting a free pass, you're just making someone quietly uncomfortable and potentially losing a friend. Seriously, stop. And while you're at it, you should probably say sorry to them. The next statement is, I try to use they, them pronouns when people ask, but it's so hard, I keep messing it up. And the response is, That's okay, it happens to everyone, it takes time to adjust to new ways of speaking and thinking. Personally, I would much rather my friends and family mess up than give up entirely. All I ask for you is not to make it my problem. Getting really apologetic or changing the subject to how difficult you find my pronouns won't make me feel any more comfortable after I've been misgendered. Don't tell me that you're trying. Show me. Try. And then, if you get it wrong, correct yourself and move on. Of course, there are people out there who will be harsh about good faith mistakes. Sometimes it's because they're sensitized to being gendered a certain way. Other times, they're just jerks. Jerks come in all genders. But, in general... Accidentally messing up pronouns is not the end of the world, as long as you're holding yourself accountable. And the story originally appeared on Youth Radio, a national network of next-generation storytelling. Awesome. Great. So if you'd like to read this... Oops. Ooh, that was loud. Article again, you can go to teenvogue.com. And that's going to bring us into our next story, which is... uh, I mean, it's... uh, How... How specific is that? And this comes from uh, quartz.com, which is QZ.com. Teen Vogue 2016's breakout political publication will cease printing. Now, thankfully, they'll still remain online. But let's talk a little bit first about why they're, you know, how they're going to be no longer printing. And this was articles written by Mark Bain. And uh, this came out very recently, probably today. November 2nd, yesterday. The struggles of big glossy magazines continue. WWD reports, uh, and it's through a paywall, that publisher Conde Nast, faced with a declining audience, is slashing 80 jobs across its 3,000-person workforce, reducing budgets and publishing fewer issues per year of GQ, Glamour, Allure, Bon Appetit, Architectural Digest, and Conde Nast Traveler. But perhaps the biggest news is that it will cease printing Teen Vogue entirely. The magazine had renewed its relevance recently thanks to a new, more politically and culturally aware perspective, exemplified by its political coverage around 45's election to the U.S. presidency. Lauren Duca's December 2016 story on 45's psychological manipulation of American voters, and I'm not even saying his name, 45 is gaslighting America, was a viral hit that alerted many readers to a teen vogue they weren't familiar with. For years, Teen Vogue, which launched in 2003, had been known for light, fluffy celebrity and beauty news, but under Elaine uh, Welteroff, who became editor-in-chief in May 2016, it broadened its scope noticeably. The current iteration of Teen Vogue is, if you listen to anyone who likes it, and you'd be surprised at the diversity of people who do, a revolution in magazines, the New York Times wrote. Um, and there's also a paywall linking to that article again okay. in a recent profile of Welteroth, devoid of the prom and weight loss themed articles that usually litter teen magazines. The title read primarily by 18 to 24 year olds is now full of articles like an open letter by McKesson to Jordan Edwards, a 15 year old black boy who was fatally shot by police or a conversation between the singer, Troy Sivan and the model, Hari Neff, about being members of the LGBT community in the current political climate. The reinve- this reinvention, however, apparently wasn't enough to save the print edition, which was already publishing just four times a year, according to Condé Nast, from the persistent onslaught of digital media. Teen Vogue will apparently continue to exist online, but the physical version that a generation of teens grew up with will disappear from newsstands. As for Welteroth, who has, had, who has her own sizable fan base online, WWD reports she may keep working with Team Vogue in a different capacity or may find a new role within Condé Nast. She could take over the top editorial role at Glamour or Allure, for instance. Another perhaps more plausible scenario, WWD states, is that Welteroth grows a new brand at Condé Nast. Condé Nast declined to comment on future plans for Welteroth. Teen Vogue has experienced tremendous audience growth across its digital, social, and video platforms this past year, and has earned journalism and industry accolades that set it apart from its competition, it said in a statement. Though the quarterly print editions will cease publishing on a regular schedule at newsstands, we are looking forward to exploring reimagined special special issues timed to specific moments of our readers' lives. And the story was updated with a statement from Condé Nast. So, my thoughts on this, it sucks. That's one, one thought. And also just for folks who don't have internet access, for instance, or for sites that might be blocked. And it's also going back to, I think, maybe what I was mentioning before about having something tactile in your hands, You know, talking about music, but then also talking about books. I'm, I'm someone who will hold out. I will not get a Kindle. I like the idea of holding a book in my hands and reading it. And there's something really special about that, that it's produced. And I get that there's the, the waste of uh, trees. And at the same time, there's you could also stop eating meat if you really want to protect the environment. So I think that's definitely a big loss. And, you 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 know, you can't read it on a plane if you can't use your electronics. And also it's forcing people again to be more entwined with technology. And also when something's printed, it's there. When something's online, you might not have access to it. It might be changed. It might be shut down. It's less in the hand, literally in the hands of the readers. So that makes me sad. This is going to go along to our next article, which also came out today, and this is from the San Francisco Examiner. This is some sad news. Um, SFist shut down by new billionaire Republican owner. And they have a, a note from November 2nd that they are reaching the decision to shut down DNA Info and Gothamist. And this was written by... Uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, and um, yes, San Franciscans, brothers, sisters, folks of all genders, today we mourn, SFist is gone. The beloved local news site was part of Gothamist, a national network of community-focused blogs. All of the blogs were shut down some, s- s- similarly uh, today by billionaire Republican Joe Ricketts, a despicable Trump backer whose name sounds distinctive, distinctly like... A terrible skeletal disorder, see Ricketts, who will now go down in history as a colossal jackass for depriving cities of needed local news. Today I've made the difficult decision to discontinue publishing DNA Info and Gothamist, Ricketts wrote in a web post to Gothamist readers. Reaching this decision wasn't easy, and it wasn't one I made lightly. In what is surely no coincidence, Gothamist and DNA's DNA Info's reporters and editors voted to unionize just last Thursday. Today, 115 reporters and editors lost their jobs, according to the New York Times. Ricketts also shut down his website, DNA Info, which he started in 2009. Both DNA Info and Gothamist reportedly net more than 15 million visits monthly. Ricketts bought Gothamist in March, according to Politico, but a mere eight months later claims DNA Info and Gothamist couldn't crack the code to profitable neighborhood storytelling. While we made important progress towards building DNA Info into a successful business, in the end, the progress hasn't been sufficient to support the tremendous effort and expense needed to produce the type of journalism on which the company was founded, he wrote. Gothamist debuted in 2003, according to Politico, and was founded by Jen Chung and Jake Dobkin. Locally, SFS was co-founded in 2004 by Eve Bailey, uh, Rita Howe, and Jackson West. I am just going to enlarge this a little bit just to make sure I'm reading the names correctly, so bear with me one moment. Beatty, yes. Okay. I'm definitely surprised, Beatty told me when reached by phone. Beatty calls herself a founding writer of the site, which was entirely volunteer-run until Brock Keeling became its first full-time editor about seven years ago, Beatty recalled. It was Brock Keeling who really took SFist into the big time, she said. SFS Bread and Butter was aggregation of local stories spun with wit, humor, and a dash of snark that made staid news palatable for San Franciscans. That's huge. I can tell you that as a journo who often deals with the -the in-the-weed news, it's great to have a fellow outlet that can take a lighter point of view. Because the more voices trumpeting the news, the better. But SFS did more than put a few fun spin on other stories. It also dug out its own. Beatty pointed to its outing of former Mayor Gavin Newsom's press secretary, Peter Ragone, who used to fake names on various blogs and news sites to defend Newsom, and often lighting journalists on fire, figuratively, to do so. Worse yet, SFS archive is now inaccessible. I wrote about the 49ers for nine years on that site, wrote Daisy Baringer, who wrote Daisy Does the Niners for SFS, Every single article is gone. I have literally nothing to show for my hard work. Still, S.F.S. unique wit and style cannot be undersold. S.F.S. has been a funny, beautiful, honest voice for San Francisco, said freelancer about town Beth Spotswood, whose own hilarious, insightful writing has graced many San Francisco publications. Spotswood said, I think Eve Beatty was huge in developing that and championing, championing that uniquely SFist voice. SFS may be gone, Beatty noted, but the two staffers and trove of freelancers who made it sing will likely still report in San Francisco. Joe, you better watch your ass," she said, good-naturedly. I hope she's right. Those natures have those natures. Those writers have done a great service for San Francisco time and again. Pour one out for SFS tonight. And I shared this article online, and a friend of mine commented who, um has been working for the LAist, SFS, and Gothamist for over two years, and uh, they received no notice at all, and says it's insanely devastating. So another friend said this was also their only cred. This is bad news, and also it's a move towards fascism. When you have fewer news sources, and you're shutting down people's voices, that's really fucked. Okay, so next up, we're gonna play some more music, and then we'll find some new stories to tell. Stay tuned. going to speak about an upcoming event that folks should check out if you are able. On November 16th, it is the Sleep Out to End Homelessness. And this is hosted by the Coalition on Homelessness and they're one organization that does a lot of great work here in the Bay Area. So, at Powell Street Cable Car Turnaround on November 16th to November we'll, we'll have some semester on in the background till November 17th. Uh, folks can come through starting at 5 p.m. and we'll read the description and you can also check out first of all, I'm going to share this invite on the Facebook page. And you can check out the Facebook page if you go to facebook.com slash weekly rev and post a lot of articles there as well as events. So I'm posting that there right now so you can check this out. Again, this is called the Sleep Out to End Homelessness. And it's funny how the, uh, not funny, but it's true that the people on the ground, organizers, the human beings here, do more to help others than the politicians do and that is for sure okay so the statement they have here from the coalition on homelessness says uh join us for a hashtag sleep during homelessness awareness week to end homelessness where the powell street cable car turnaround at powell bart when thursday 11 16 at 5 p.m With the adult shelter waitlist at 1,000 plus people long, and as the city continues to criminalize homeless people living in tents and on the streets, we invite all community members to join us for a sleepout to bring light to this issue. Bring your sleeping bag, food, and supplies to share and your friends. Questions or want to help, contact Kelly Cutler at K-C-U-T-L-E-R at C-O-H-S-F dot org or at 415-346-3740, extension 312. Again, the phone number is 415-346-3740, extension 312. Note from Kelly, if you are looking for ways to contribute, it would be great to bring food and drinks, water, coffee, hot cocoa, etc. And Kelly says uh, you can hit them up if you would like to help. So this is great. So again, Thursday... November 16th, 5 p.m. at the Powell Street Cable Car Turnaround. And I'll speak more about this, a reminder, next week. So, right on. Is the people doing things that are positive. Speaking of people doing things that are positive, Snoop Dogg's new album cover features him standing over Trump's dead body. This is from businessinsider.com. And uh, this article was articles written by John Lynch, and it came out on November 2nd, 2017. Uh, Snoop Dogg's new album cover features a corpse labeled Trump. The artwork directly references the cover of Ice Cube's 1991 album, Death Certificate. Snoop Dogg's new cover for his recent EP, Make America Crip Again, features the rapper standing over a corpse labeled Trump. And uh, this artwork directly references the cover of Ice Cube's 1991 album, Death Certificate. On that cover, Ice Cube is standing over a corpse of Uncle Sam. When Snoop Dogg released this, the album's title track in late October, he told Rolling Stone the song was not a statement or a political act. It's just good music, he said. Certain people feel like we should be, make America great again, but that time they're referring to always makes takes me back to separation and segregation, so I'd rather make America crip again. Snoop Dogg's music video for his song Lavender, released earlier this year, featured him shooting at a clown dressed as President 45. Uh, the president condemned the video and the rapper in a tweet. I'm not going to read it. Uh, Snoop Dogg released Make America Crip Again, an eight song project, on October 27th. So that's awesome. Way to go, Snoop. Pretty cool. Um, I appreciate when folks take action like that. Next up, uh, ugh, this is a sad article. We live in sad times, though. This comes from hornetapp.com news, and this came out on October 21st. It's now legal. I'm going to turn down the music a little bit, because this is... Oh, goodness. It's now legal in Mississippi to deny service to any person you think could be gay. This was written by Matt Baum, and yes, it came out on October 21st. Mississippi has never been known for welcoming queer people, but the state just outdid itself. This month, one of the most sweeping anti-LGBT laws in the country went into effect. Despite the best efforts of civil rights leaders to hold it back, it's now legal for individuals business and businesses and government officials to deny any service to any person they think might be queer. And that's only the beginning. The Mississippi anti LGBT law is dangerous bigotry. The Mississippi law goes beyond just calling out LGBT people as specific targets of discrimination. It allows anyone to refuse services to straight people who they suspect have had sex outside of marriage. What the fuck? All right. It's hard to believe it could be real, but it is. The law is called HB 1523, and it covers everything from housing to education to medical care to government services. Queer people never had many protections in Mississippi, but the passage of this bill specifically gives a green light to discriminatory practices. Mississippi isn't alone in passing such draconian policies. A few years before marriage equality became the law of the land, conservative activists could sense that they were on the losing side of history. So, at the 2014 Value Voters Summit, organizers plotted to pass bills around the country that could bypass marriage equality. The laws, which have been going into effect all over the country, are simple enough. Rather than ban marriage equality, they prohibit any punishment for people who discriminate against same-sex couples. In other words, LGBT couples can get married, they just can't expect equal treatment. Sometimes, these license-to-discriminate laws attract enough attention that there's a public outcry. Other times, legal advocates intervene and try to push back. In Mississippi, lawyers who fought for the freedom to marry are now fighting to prevent HB 1523 from sticking around but until they get a ruling, the law is in effect statewide. A national version of the Mississippi anti-LGBT law could be coming soon. Even worse, similar policies are under consideration at the federal level. Ever since Republicans came to power, top federal officials have been pushing for a nationwide license to discriminate. That includes Attorney General Jeff Sessions at the Department of Justice, who recently issued guidelines that are vague enough to open the door to a national turn away the gays policy. That means that even if you live in a state with non-discrimination protection, you could soon lose any guarantee of safety. You could be evicted for being gay or expelled from a public school. You could be refused a ride in an ambulance when you need medical care. You could be denied a home loan, fired, or kicked off a bus. But queer Americans aren't out of options when it comes to protecting themselves. and I have some ideas. I won't say them out loud. I have some ideas, though. While attorneys fight to have these laws declared unconstitutional, many other countries have permissive immigration policies. If you're a skilled worker, Canada has an express entry program. That's, oh my gosh, my options I was thinking of was more like resistance instead of fleeing, although I understand fleeing. Okay. <sighs> Whew. Canada has an express entry program. Norway's Svalbard requires no residence permit or visa. Good to know. And New Zealand offers work residence visas for many professions, but you may not have to move to another country to see an improvement in conditions in America. Major experts project a military coup could force the current administration from power. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Oh my goodness. Wow. This is where we're at, everybody. This is where we're at huh so this reminds me of like another um article that i was thinking about sharing um so huh, there's a uh, let me look this up here for everyone and in the meantime i'll play some sylvester we don't have to suffer in silence a great cover that was sylvester with band of gold and now to the next story did i read this last week i don't know if i did i can't remember it's there's a lot of things happening this comes from the star.com meet trigger warning queer and trans gun club in armed response to the u.s far right and in the previous article i read when we're talking about options to oppose the legalized bigotry uh this that's something that came to mind okay It's a way to assert our strength, said Jake Allen, 27, who helped form the group. I want white supremacists and neo-Nazis to know that queer people are taking steps necessary to protect themselves. This was written by Michael Hill, and this came out on October 23rd. Rochester, New York. The former pacifist pumped a shotgun at the firing line. Laura McSpadden never touched a gun before the trigger warning Queer and Trans Gun Club started this past year. Now McSpadden is among the shooters routinely yelling pull and blasting at clay pigeons angling over a mowed field near Rochester. Trigger warning members are anxious about armed and organized extremists who seem increasingly emboldened. The response has a touch of symmetry to it. They started a club to teach members how to take up arms. It's a way to assert our strength, said Jake Allen, 27, who helped form the group. Often queer people are thought of as being weak, as being defenseless, and I think in many ways this pushes back against that. I want white supremacists and neo-Nazis to know that queer people are taking steps necessary to protect themselves. Trigger warning members meet once a month to shoot still targets and saucer-shaped pigeons. The 18 dues-paying members are all LGBTQ, many just learning about guns. I identified as a pacifist really through most of my life, said McSpadden, 37, who has attended a self-defense seminar and now owns a 20-gauge shotgun. On a recent evening, their instructor showed novices how to pull a 22 caliber rifle snugly to their shoulders and how to aim slightly ahead of a moving target. Members cheered when shooters shattered a pigeon or hit a bullseye. The light mood belies the apprehension that led to the group's creation this past winter amid a year marked by politically tinged violence ranging from scuffles at protests to a violent clash of white supremacists and counter protesters in Charlottesville, Virginia. Zora Guso recalls a dismal time earlier this year when she began talking to Allen about taking on the gaping hole in the knowledge of people on the left about firearms. I grew up afraid of guns, Gusau said. The first time I was near a gun in in a house, it was one of my friends, and I basically jumped back. And that feels dangerous to me in a society where there are so many guns. A dozen shooters in a field in upstate New York does not exactly represent a vanguard of a newly armed left, but the group is not alone. Alan said there's another trigger warning chapter in Atlanta, and he has received inquiries from people in about 10 other cities. Membership in the Pittsburgh chapter of the Pink Pistols, an LGBTQ-oriented gun club with chapters nationwide, have bumped up after the presidential election and then after a white supremacist killed a counter-protester in Charlottesville this summer. The National African American Gun Association gained 500 new members within two days after Charlottesville. Association President Philip Smith said the group went from four chapters to 45 in the past year. The Liberal Gun Club, a national organization, has seen its paid membership roughly double since the election to about 5,500, said Laura Smith, one of the group's Calif- of the group's California chapter. So-called leftists see the country differently now than the days of Occupy Wall Street six years ago, said Mark Bray, author of Antifa, the anti-fascist handbook, and a visiting scholar at Dartmouth College. Trump's victory emboldened white supremacists, he said, and the threat is felt not just by the LGBT community, but people of color, immigrants, Jews, and Muslims. Back then, we were sitting in parks, twinkling our fingers and talking about economic inequality, he said. Now we're talking about firearms and self-defense. Some other groups are more provocative. Black-clad radicals affiliated with the anti-fascist movement have tangled physically with conservative demonstrators at some public events. In August, members of the anti-racist group Redneck Revolt stood outside a raucous Trump rally with long guns. There, these more radical groups stand out in a movement with a long history of nonviolent protests. Still, even the act of taking up arms for defense is enough to worry some veteran activists. Is an arms race really what we want? Asked Scott Fearing, executive director of Rochester's Out Alliance. What we know in any arms race is that it's never good for anybody and death and destruction and harm and hurt can come when so many people have arms and weapons. Trigger warning members stress they are about empowerment and self-defense, not offense. Members say it also gives them a sense of community, even if it comes from a fire, even if it comes on a firing line in the middle of farm country. (sighs) Huh. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was Sylvester with Power of Love. This is, again, from Sylvester, the 12x12 collection. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Review. If you like this show and want to support it, please continue listening. Uh, tell your friends. Tell folks you know who might be interested in it. Please do share the podcast with others. We also are looking to create... Uh, there's a Patreon... Page up, Patreon.com/WeeklyRev. slash We're looking to raise $100 a month of ongoing donations. We're at $72 right now, so we just need $28 more a month of ongoing donations to fully cover the cost of rentals at the studio here. So, if you support the show and would like to, and have even a buck a month that you can uh, share, uh, I would greatly appreciate it. We would greatly appreciate it. The world would appreciate it. Again, go to Patreon.com/WeeklyRev. slash Thank you so much. And thanks to the folks who do donate on a monthly basis to keep this show going very much. Appreciate it. There's a lot more stories. And also of course there's, there's the Hollywood abuse scandals happening. There's a lot to say about that. I don't even have the wherewithal to even begin to engage with it. More, more people coming forward every day and sending lots of love and support to the folks who are coming forward about that. And also recognizing that 45, uh, the person (laughs) with so much power right now, people have spoken out against him. So I would like him to come down as well. Come down, be taken down. He should also be taken down. He should also be fired from his job along with these other folks in Hollywood. That would be great. More stories. There's, there's so, there's so much. I also forgot to say, I should forgot to issue a trigger warning, literal trigger, literal. Well, no, no, I forgot to say trigger warning before the show today. It's, one ten and I'm already like I'm gotten to that point. It happens every show. There's a point where I either I won't say necessarily lose it, but I find I'm like, ugh, I'm just so overwhelmed. And there's so much that's happening and even though there's a lot of great folks speaking out and doing a lot of amazing work, there still are the folks pushing back against progress, like in that story about what's happening in Mississippi and for folks who's who use their time and their energy to push back and to deny people rights is just so fucked up. I don't have any other words to describe it. There's just so much that folks are battling against just to be able to exist in this world. And I've mentioned before, I don't feel like I'm necessarily from Earth. It's a great planet, and the humans are fucking it up majorly. And it's really hard. It's really hard It makes no sense. And I know a lot of folks feel the same way. It's like, what the, why things do not need to be this uphill battle. Why are humans so unkind and mean to each other? And I get that the systems are designed that way. So we're, we're designed to assume that there's not enough to go around. And I myself suffer from that. Sometimes there's a, there's that sense of lack or that fear that I don't have enough. And that idea that oh I gotta either either punish someone else or compete with someone else or there's not there's not gonna be enough for me or my friends so I better like push harder and there is enough for, for us we just have to have the folks at the top stop lying and stop hoarding the resources how do we get that to happen that's a question people are doing it people are speaking out and that's great and also talk about what's really important so I appreciate that here's something that's important uh, there's certain people in this world who want to destroy the planet, like, majorly, in a major way. And here's a story I'm going to read briefly. It's um, from artstechnica.com. Republican tax plan kills electric vehicle credit. The bill would end would end the $7,500 personal tax credit at the end of 2017. And Jonathan M. Gitlin is the author of this piece, and it came out on November 2nd. You get the idea from the headline, and I don't know how much energy I have to really go into this. It just sounds terrible. And I'll just read the first couple paragraphs here. The nascent market nascent market for electric cars will suffer a big setback if the Republican tax plan released on Thursday enters into law. Among the changes to the current tax code would be an end to the plug-in electric drive vehicle credit. That's the tax incentive that currently means up to $7,500 back from the IRS when you purchase a new battery or plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Since the start of 2010, the EV tax credit has been a $2,500 for a plug-in vehicle with at least 5 kilowatts. Kilowatts? Does that make sense? It should be more than that. Um, Okay. Battery capacity. Every... I'm going to actually type in this because I feel I do not want to provide misinformation if I don't read the correct wattage. Um, so bear with me as I do that. Folter clue health. Hmm. Should we bring in uh, Sylvester while I look this up? Because I feel like... Um, yeah, let's do that. We're going to bring in some Sylvester right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to look up exactly what this means. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.
1: You won't call my love and my devotion. My loving soul Right on the line Well I have no doubt I could love you Forever The only trouble is
2: kilowatt hours. I feel like I should have known that. I don't remember learning that in physics class, but that was about 20 years ago. Still, I shouldn't make excuses, and it's better to to know what we're talking about here. So going back to this article, uh, so the tax... It, do, 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 do okay. Okay. So the tax credit has been $2,500 for a plug-in vehicle with at least five kilowatt hours battery capacity. Every extra kilowatt hour nets another $417 up to a maximum of $7,500. Although you would need at least a, f- at least that amount in income tax liability, the IRS won't cut you a check to make up the full amount. It was never meant to be permanent once the automaker sells 200,000 qualifying vehicles starting at January 1st, 2010. Its eligibility is phased out over a matter of month. Uh, the microphone's moving around. Okay. But in the almost seven years since, no one has reached that limit yet. Tesla will almost certainly be, f- be first, with General Motors not far behind. Between them, they've sold a lot of Model, C- Model Cs and Chevrolet Volts. If this tax plan is enacted, it will surely mean pain for both companies, as well as anyone else hoping to sell a lot of EVs here in the U.S. The data is pretty clear. Tax incentives sell electric cars, and the market for EVs can dry up very fast, when they're abolished, as Georgia's recent experience shows. GM told ARS that tax credits are an important customer benefit that help accelerate the acceptance of electric vehicles because General Motors believes in all in an all-electric future. We will work with Congress to explore ways to maintain this incentive. Tesla was not immediately available for comment. And they have more in this article, but you kind of get the gist of it. Ah, that's my... I mean, having to pay people to like do the right thing. But that's kind of what the world we live in is about, isn't it? Um, all right. So the stand has come off in my hand. Well, I was not intending to rhyme. That's just how things are going on here. I'm going to make a brief. I, many trans folks still continue to be murdered in this country and around the world. So I was wanting to comment on that. And there's a list at G-O-I. Qnotes.com, and there's a, a recent article remembering the transgender people killed in 2017. Uh, every day, um, not every day, but quite often, we hear of more and more people. And this year is on track to match or even top 2016, because um, last year was the was the was the record for the highest number of known transgender people murdered in the U.S. And this year is on track to match or even top it. And it is likely that the numbers are even higher than reported as misgendering by police, families, and the media makes getting an accurate count challenging. And the Transgender Day of Remembrance is happening on November 20th. And they have a list here of folks who have passed. I'm going to read their names. Uh, Jamie Lee Wounded Arrow, Misha Caldwell, JoJo Stryker, Jacarius Holland, T.R. Richmond, A.K.A. Tiki, uh, Kiki Collier, China Dupree, A.K.A. China Gibson, Clara McElveen, Alfonza Watson, Che Reed, uh, ben- Brenda Bostick, Cheryl Faulkner, Kenny McFadden, Josie Barrios, Ava Loret Barren, Ebony Morgan, T.T. Danger- Dangerfield. Guinevere River Song Kiwi Herring Kashmir Red Derica Banner Scout Schultz Ali Steinfeld Stephanie Montes and these are just some of the names um, those are the names mentioned in the article though there are more <sighs> this happens a lot on the show wanting to provide a moment of silence and recognizing it's radio I'm still going to do it anyway just for a few moments to recognize those who have been murdered and those who still face violence on a daily basis. So we're going to take another bit of a music break and we'll be back in a bit. Welcome back to The Weekly Review. I'm joined here by Jeremy Miller of the Idris Steli Foundation and the SF Bayview newspaper. And we're going to talk a bit about the vote today on the SFPD wanting to use tasers. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for calling in. Hello? Hello? Uh, yeah, thanks so much for calling in.
0: Of course. Thank you for having me on the show.
2: Yeah. So we mentioned uh, briefly that this is like the fifth time that the SFPD is going to vote to to try to get tasers. And as we know, they're also just very dangerous weapons and many people are killed due to them. So uh, you wrote a really great article in the SF Bayview newspaper and I was hoping you could just talk a little bit about that and some of the information that you found when you were researching this.
0: Well, sure. Uh, Again, thank you for having me on the show. Um, So the various... Uh, powers in in San Francisco city government have been attempting to introduce tasers uh, for use by the SFPD for the last 13 years. And what's critical about uh, underlining this point is that every one of the uh, times that they attempt to introduce tasers uh, after having been defeated by the the voice of the people each time, uh, they try and present it as a new idea, mm. as a as a uh, magic bullet, if you will, yeah. to uh, to uh, help the police department or to uh, uh, to lower the amount of uh, officer involved shootings, which is a fraudulent premise. We can maybe deal with that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time they try and present it, it's like something that no one has ever thought of. Before, yeah, right, and that's part of it's a sales pitch that they give.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, when in reality, uh, multiple police chiefs have, uh, um, uh, five previous to be specific, police chiefs have attempted to uh, um, bring tasers to the city, and uh, uh, and the people have said no every time. Yes, so. So, you know, um, so I would start there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in terms of what changed uh, this time uh, specifically is we, we we not only were able to discern the money behind uh, the push for tasers, mm-hmm. um, but we were able to actually catch them uh, actively actively. Advocating for the uh, introduction of these weapons to the city, yes. um, while pretending to be uh, community members.
2: I see. And how how did that come across?
0: Well, the uh, San Francisco Police Commission and the San Francisco Human Rights Commission coordinated together to hold uh, two public meetings, um, so-called community meetings. Which would uh, satisfy the the legal requirements of community input uh, when attempting to introduce uh, such a change in the use of force mm-hmm. and uh, at the second of these community meetings, you know both were they attempted to control and and gratefully uh, people turned out on masse to to both meetings, uh, to clearly uh, articulate the the actual position of San Francisco against tasers, but uh, in both meetings, uh, um, there was this there was this attempt to uh, control the dialogue. There was mm. this attempt to channel the meetings in such a way as to give a uh, PR blitz, right? There was yeah. a, an attempt to channel the meetings in such a way as to give uh, certain uh, political forces, certain members of the police commission, the police office association, essentially the proponents of tasers, a uh, uh, community-backed mandate. Mm. So that's, and, uh, um, and one aspect of this was uh, a man by the name of uh, Joshua G. Levine, mm-hmm. Uh, turning up at the meeting and uh, talking about how oh we were so close to we're so close to Silicon Valley, but San Francisco police were stuck in the Stone Age with the tools they can use. Mm. This was kind of his his uh, little little rent, and he also. Uh, 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 suggested he ex- uh, exploited the death, uh, the death of uh, Idris Steli at the Metron Theater mm-hmm. in 2001,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which was a police killing. He was shot 48 times, unarmed, in the Metron Theater, no threat to anyone, mm-hmm. um, and he, and uh, and murdered. Uh, he he attempted to uh, exploit this murder as a uh, as a suggested case where a taser would have been. Uh, more Ugh. appropriate
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and uh, what, what what he did not uh, which is which is ludicrous yeah right and, yes. and uh, um, a there is no reason uh, uh, that to to believe that uh, Sally would have survived tasering any more than he survived being shot right and uh, B, the the situation at hand uh, did not require any such level of Use of force. Period, and so what we're talking about is a smokescreen uh, uh, to try and cover up uh, police terror. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, uh, but w- what this, what uh, Mr. Levine did not disclose, uh, uh, is that in fact he was a uh, uh, executive for uh, Black for BlackRock, mm. which is uh, the world's largest shadow bank. Uh, they have more assets under management than any regular bank in the world, including the largest banks in the United Capitalist Prison States of America and China. <laughs> um, uh, I forget the exact figure right now, but it's in it's in the uh, trillions of oh. dollars. And uh, important, importantly, they are the number one investor in Axon Enterprises, uh, formerly known as Taser International. They just changed the name. This last year, my suspicion is because of the uh, plethora of lawsuits against them under Taser International, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so 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 yeah. This this man uh, coming in, pretending to be a community member, uh, attempting to shift a uh, the dialogue uh, in such a way as to promote the issuing of a weapon for use against the community was was actually undercover an undercover account executive. For the people that stood to profit the most if tasers are issued to San Francisco. Yeah.
2: Whew. So, then with this knowledge out there, I mean, have they been confronted about this? Uh,
0: who is the they in the question?
2: Oh, I guess Blackwater or, or Levine.
0: Uh, outside of the. Uh, uh, expose in the article, no, they have not been directly confronted to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that should definitely occur. Uh, it's interesting the the little uh, slip that you had the uh, uh, Blackwater as opposed to oh, I'm sorry, Black Blackrock. Rock. Yeah, sorry. Um, because because actually um, they have <laughs> they have been uh, uh, referred to by by other uh, high finance people. Um, the commentary has come across. They've actually been referred to as the Blackwater of Finance.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and, you know, for those listeners that don't remember the whole Blackwater thing, um, these are private uh, contractor mercenaries that uh, engaged in acts of uh, murder and torture and disappearing people um, uh, that largely came to light uh, during the recent conflagrations, the recent uh, warfare in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, yes, as well as in Syria,
2: yes. And and BlackRock has a uh, their center or they have a building here at 400 Howard Street, which I see is very easy to find on Google. So, for folks wanting to know where they're located, they're right here in the city.
0: Yeah, I, I think the point to be underscored here is this: is that uh, this is a very very serious,
2: um,
0: you know. Because there's the, the, the political aspect and, oh, you know, how fucked up is it that this uh, that this bank just in the name of, of uh, profits is trying to push policy? And, yes, yeah, so that's, that's, that's you know, bald-faced corruption. That's fine. Oh. Right? But I think the point to underscore here is tasers are a very real and present threat yes. to the people. San Francisco yes uh, at, th- at least a thousand forty-four people that we know of have been killed by tasers since they were introduced in 1983 and the vast majority of those have been killed in the last uh, 15 years mm-hmm. um, also the majority of the deaths have occurred in California mm-hmm. um, with uh, actually 29 People killed in the Bay Area. Fuck. Um, so, so this is not, you know, th- there's the corruption aspect, there's the the political aspect, but here you have a very clear uh, situation of the community uh, trying to to survive, essentially, yes. in the face of uh, of um, the most grotesque kind of capitalist speculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh people uh a company people that really have no fucking care in the world for human life if it can make them some money and that's yes. really the stakes
2: yes oh, fuck ah, fuck uh,
0: i should yeah. add um for those people listening right now, so it's like, you know, quarter to two o'clock in, in the afternoon uh, Pacific Standard Time, uh, there will be a uh, press conference uh, about this very topic, uh, not specifically so much the Rock angle, but uh, about the proposal to uh, issue tasers to San Francisco police mm-hmm. uh, in, in front of, in steps in front of uh, San Francisco City Hall at 4 p.m. this afternoon Uh, immediately uh, preceding a uh, special San Francisco Police Commission meeting where a vote is expected on the Mm -hmm. matter. So if anyone is available uh, to anyone who's in the San Francisco Bay Area that is willing to, uh, you know, come down, sacrifice a Friday evening, um, your participation is very much welcome and, uh, and, frankly, not necessary. It could, it could be a matter of, It could save lives. Wow.
1: Okay. Uh, and the meeting will be
0: held. It was just announced a couple of days ago. It's going to be in uh, the Board of Supervisors' Chambers, which is room 250 on the second floor of San Francisco City Hall.
2: Okay. Wow. Thank you for providing this information. It's... Yeah. I feel uh, at a loss for words. Um, so... Uh,
0: well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this, uh, uh, Roman. How did you come across uh, the issue of, of tasers?
2: Uh, other folks have been posting about it for a while. So, just in terms of following stories about police brutality and knowing that people are also killed with tasers in addition to guns, um, being critical of the police and the weapons they use, and how. There, people want certain people want to give them other weapons to use instead of talking about them de-escalating or defunding the police or finding complete alternatives. So we live in a culture that's very much into punishing and criminalizing people instead of helping people. And I feel like tasers are part of the equation that it's a object that goes to punish people, and the people in positions of power are the ones who get to call the shots for the time being. so. Um, anything that's part of that equation is something that I feel like I kind of comes into my frame of reference.
0: Right on, and you've and you've you've definitely been very outspoken and uh, and uh, 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 and uh, hardworking in the fight against uh, this kind of coercive of uh, politic uh, for for some time now. I I think that um, I'm really happy that you just. Shared the, the the premise of tasers and guns, right? Mm-hmm. And and the reason that I, I I stick to that, the reason that I that I focus in on that, is that one of the main ways that they attempt to sell tasers mm-hmm. is they try and present this proposition of tasers or guns. Have you heard this? Has this uh, yes. uh,
2: yeah they, they think it's less, less lethal or they consider it to be something that's somehow helpful. So they frame it in a way the, the context they provide is, is is wrong and mistaken. And yeah.
0: Exactly. you know, and they have all these uh, euphemisms, like you said, less lethal or uh, you know they'll call it a device instead of a, a, a weapon. Right, they'll say uh, conducted energy device. Yes, right to try and neutralize the impact. But I mean, you know, less lethal. Uh, um, oh, uh, there's also uh, this one actually uses the word weapons. They also say electronic control weapons. Ugh. Right, um, but I think uh, what uh, really needs. You know what people need to understand is the proposition, and and this is really significant. Uh, a couple points: one, the proposition that tasers would somehow replace guns, right? Mm-hmm. That has never been on the table. Yeah, it it's not part of the draft policy. Mm. I mean, in fact, not only is it not part; it's literally explicitly written into the draft policy that will be deliberated on tonight that they won't. Yes. So it's not even unspoken; it's spoken, it's written, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it is untrue to such an extent that if you if you actually take a close look at uh, the general orders that and this for people who don't know what uh, Department General Orders are, this is essentially the uh, internal rules that govern uh, the behavior of a police officer. Mm-hmm. Every department has them, or some. Uh, some uh, uh, analogous uh, set of guidelines, right? Yes. And these guidelines, they're not just guidelines. They have legal ramifications, right, should you transgress them. And uh, so and if you actually look at, at, at the Department of General Orders, an officer that used a taser in a situation where uh, suggestively... Uh, lethal force, a.k.a. the department-issued firearm, the gun, was called for.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That officer could actually be disciplined. Yeah, And this is not like some hypothetical... This kind of shit actually happens. The officer could actually be disciplined, could get in trouble for using the taser instead of shooting. Mm. So, so there's no reality whatsoever to this idea that, um, it's taser tasers or guns. In fact, uh, you know, on their own merits, tasers are torture devices and weapons of killing. But I think the debate would be, uh, an entirely different debate. If the proposition of the cops, uh, starting, stopping shooting people with, with guns, with firearms, um, uh, were on the table and I don't even know whether that would at that juncture it would it would go in favor of tazers or not I can't really speak to that but what's what's important for listeners to understand is is just what, I, what I've said that's not on the table yeah so anyone uh, anyone that's trying to, to 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 sell you that is um, just trying to sell you wolf tickets
2: yeah wow wow All right. Um, Okay. So thank you for sharing that. And again, I apologize for not, I feel like my words are not quite all there. Just a lot to, I think maybe just witnessing is the word I'm thinking of and just taking all this information in. So um, we're going to like wrap up, we have to wrap up the show uh, in a couple minutes. So I wanted to to repeat that the the votes having, uh, the votes today and folks are gathering outside city hall at 4 p.m.
0: Yes, folks will be gathering for a what's being put out as a press conference rally slash press conference um, at 4 p.m. in front of City Hall. If you cannot make that um, the actual uh, hearing, as it were, or, or meeting, mm-hmm. I suppose the, the formal term, it's, it's the way it's being framed. Um, the special meeting of the police commission begins at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. in the Board of Supervisors' Chambers, which is... Uh, room 250 in San Francisco City Hall. Um, if you haven't made it down to San Francisco City Hall uh, before, it's uh, Willie Brown's Golden Palace. It has a giant golden dome mm-hmm. um, paid for by, by by money that should have gone to people in need. But outside of that, it is uh, right downtown. The address is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, San Francisco, California, and the zip is 94102. So if you got to look it up, get directions on, uh, oh, whatever, Google Maps or yeah. Waze or whatever app or, or navigation tool you may use, there it is. One Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, San Francisco, California, four 102. Um, And yeah, room 250, it's on the second floor. It's the big Board of Supervisors Chamber. It starts at uh, 5 p.m. We have no idea how long this meeting is going to go. We're hoping for a good turnout, so if you get there on the late side, um, they. They may uh, claim that it's uh, full in the board of Soup's chambers. In which case, uh, whenever that happens, they have overflow rooms. So there will be another room in the building with televised uh, with with uh, a televised presentation of the meeting. And uh, if you're not too late, you should still be able to get in and make a comment and make your voice heard, um, if you so desire. And we really encourage that because. Um, you know, I, uh, I've been in this fight for a while, and yes, we have clear positions in this fight. But it's not about my voice; it's about um, you know what we understand and what we've been uh, what's been proven over the years is that the people, and that means you, are standing in opposition yes. to uh, to a new torture device, to a new weapon going to the SFPD. Um, and and so, if please, if you are able to make it and you're able to speak, please do so.
2: Okay, and folks can also check it out. I just got a note from Val here, Global Val. It says folks can check it out at sfgovtv.org and on local cable. Absolutely. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you so, so much for for calling in and for all the work you do. I really appreciate that.
0: Likewise, Roman. Thank you very much.
2: For sure. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right. Big thank you to Jeremy for calling in with all that information. And again, uh, we just posted that, some more information on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Weekly Rev, which weighs blah, blah, blah. With the info, go there at four um, outside City Hall. And the, the meeting's happening at 5 p.m. at the Board of Supervisors meeting. Thank you so much for listening in. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Um, and uh, playing us out will be some Sylvester. Have a great week, everybody.